in Buddhist uh, tradition, this whole process of uh, finding and walking on the spiritual path is called Dharma. In Pali, Dhamma, I believe so. Dharma is a very rich word. It means reality, truth, and so forth. It means also spiritual path. You can say that what we are doing tonight is also Dharma. Coming here together, meditating in the same sanctuary is also Dharma. You can tell yourself that what I'm doing right now is the Dharma. There was very renowned Tibetan master, Lama Mipam, who lived at the turning of the 20th century. He was an excellent scholar as well as a meditation master. For some reason he didn't uh, draw too many disciples in his lifetime. He had uh, very few disciples. After his death he became very famous, which happens to many people. He's one of them. Today, when you go to Tibet, especially when you visit uh, the monasteries in in the tradition that uh, I was trained in, the Nyingmaba tradition, you'll find his uh, images. We all regard him as uh, the the master of the masters. We quote him, we study his text. Some of them are, of course, very heady, intellectual, and some of them are simple and inspiring. I would like to recite a statement made by him, which goes, The one inward dharma is better than 100 outward dharma. So what he's saying is that uh, there are so many spiritual forms and there are many beautiful spiritual forms too. Especially when you go to East, you'll find uh, all this exotic, beautiful, 
as well as sacred spiritual forms. They do have power, blessings, and even transformative potency. There's no doubt about it. But also, it is true that we can get very lost in all these beautiful forms and end up forgetting, looking into our own mind. So when Lama Mupam said the inward dharma, he's really talking about the whole process of turning your attention inward and start yourself. Basically look into your mind, look into your heart, look into your psyche. I never forgot that. Many years ago I was visiting Seattle. This family invited me to have a, a meal at their house. When I entered their house, I heard that uh, someone chanting this uh, beautiful mantra. I looked around and I didn't see anybody chanting that mantra. It turned out that the parrot was singing a <laughs> name of one of the Hindu gods. It's quite inspiring to see a bird singing or chanting a name of a divine. So sometimes our prayers, our sadhanas, all these beautiful spiritual practices can be like the mantra of the parrot and being totally disconnected with our own mind from our own psychology. And so we can spend many years practicing all these sacred and beautiful practices without uh, authentic transformation. This can happen. So when we have the readiness as well as also the courage to look inside, naturally we begin to go through this process what we call in Buddhism the karmic purification. In some sense you can assert that all the forms of Buddhist practice that exist are different methodology, upayas, skillful means, techniques, And that helps us to go through this process of a karmic purification. And here, the idea of karma is, of course, very abstract. It's a 
a difficulty to understand. Here, karma is a refrain to our deep-seated habitual tendencies. Our mental tendencies, our psychological tendencies. Tendencies that we are very much stuck with, such as emotional patterns, as well as thought patterns. Some of them even don't belong to us, some of them belong to our parents. Some of them belong to our grandparents. Some of them belong to even society. The anger that you're experiencing now and then is not always your own anger. And perhaps you have inherited from your mother. In the same way, the pride that you are sometimes feeling may not be your own pride. It, it could be that you have inherited from your father. that we are carrying all this Lord, the karmic Lord, all this Lord of uh, mental, psychological tendencies, and then feeling that we are stuck with them, feeling that we are bound to them. And there are many ways of uh, describing the sense of being stuck with them. Buddha talked about that, that there is a stone in our heart, and that's one way we can describe this. It's very state of being stuck with our mental propensities, being stuck with the anger, being stuck with the pride, being stuck with the insecurity, being stuck with the confusion, being stuck with the fear. We're all stuck with the fear, some way or another. So we all have this uh, desire to be free and to break all this bondage within. It doesn't matter whether you identify yourself as a spiritual or not. By being a human, you have this natural impulse to be free and to remove that thorn from your heart or to break that chain inside you. In teaching everywhere, now and then I tend to coin new terminologies. Because I use lots of Buddhist terminologies, periodically I create my own terminologies.
And one of the terminologies that I coined was a melting. I was using that word quite a lot in my talks and teachings last few years, melting. I was using that because it's very tricky to use some of the traditional spiritual terminologies. Enlightenment is a very tricky word. And especially if you feel you become enlightened, it's very tricky. <laughs> In Tibet, we have people claim that they're enlightened, and they are the most difficult people. <laughs> and they usually expect everybody to worship them, to make tea for them to literally babysit to them. So if you go to Tibet or India, you may run into people who say they're enlightened. Just make sure that you don't get too close to them. <laughs> and then perhaps you're noticing in the East, people use this word, awakening, that's also quite a tricky word, too. So this melting, somehow it's a very simple word, it doesn't have all these uh, pitfalls, all these uh, mistakes that may come along with it. Of course, you don't want to use the word Satori because you have to get copyright from the Zen guys. <laughs> so never say that you're having Satori. Satori means sudden awakening in Zen Buddhism. You just can't use it unless you get copyright. But that will take a long time. First, you have to find out who has the copyright. <laughs> And that alone can take a few months, a few years. Or you may have to fly to Japan and find some old wise man who is hiding from society. And that can be a long journey, so just forget that. So don't use even the word Satori. So never say, I'm having Satori. So if you tell a Zen master you were having Satori and then ask you, did you meditate? Did you practice Zen last 20 years? You may not have answer. You may not be able to say yes. So melting is free. There's no copyright for that. <laughs> to me, melting is this... Uh, experience of this deep-seated rigidity and this, this contraction in your heart, this 
icy mountain inside you began to melt. There is an icy mountain in each of us. It's the ice mountain made out of uh, old anger, ancient sorrow, irrational fear. And pride is part of them, believe or not. And that, the ice mountain inside us, is often manifested outwardly. And that's why there's so much uh, problem in our lives. There's so much uh, problems in our relationship, in our romantic relationship, in our relationship with the society, with the people, with the world, and also in many ways the source of all the violence in this world, all the aggression, war, unkindness, all the destruction that we are facing every day, like people inflicting pain on each other, are very much direct manifestation <coughs> of that icy mountain in each of us. And when we are stuck with that icy mountain and then also our actions, our relationship with the world becomes quite destructive. A while ago, maybe two months ago, I was teaching in Asia, leading a five days residential retreat in the mountains. Somebody asked me a question. Of course, there were lots of questions, but this person asked me this question. What do you think? And there are many bad people in the world, and they do all these bad things, and then they have fun. That's not fair. That was the question. So this person was quite frustrated by this uh, cosmic unfairness, cosmic injustice. So I had to tell this person, drop that thought, drop that belief. I told uh, that person there are no bad people. The truth, there are no bad people. And there are, of course, human beings who are lost, who are confused, who are neurotic. And basically, we're all stuck with this icy mountain. And when we manifest that, and then we hurt each other. When the leaders, political leaders, walk with that frozenness, they have so much power to inflict pain on not just a few people, but on an entire nation, 
on lives of millions of people. So the Buddhist idea of going through the process of karmic purification is it's really this long path, this almost lifelong path of melting this ice mountain in each of us. And there are many methods. Buddhism is full of methods. There are mind-oriented methods, body-oriented methods, devotion-based inquiry, sadhana-based methods. Mindfulness is very powerful method for bringing about this karmic purification, this inner melting. Mindfulness is the same as Rigpa in Tibetan tradition, in my understanding. There's no difference between Rigpa in Tibetan tradition and mindfulness in Theravadan tradition. Shakarpa, a Tibetan mystic, in one of his uh, poems, he writes, there is an ancient cave facing north. In that, a darkness of many eons. Suddenly, a flame brought in, and all that darkness of those eons vanishes. And he's uh, using that knowledge to describe the the blessings or the power of awareness, the power of mindfulness. His hand is so powerful. The darkness of eons is a analogy for our karma, our mental propensities, our mental habits. And that cave symbolizes sometimes our mind or consciousness. And that flame, that light symbolizes awareness or the mindfulness. So he's saying that awareness or mindfulness have the power to illuminate your consciousness and to dissolve, to purify. your karma, all your suffering, all your psychological and your mental propensities, your deep-seated fear, 
your deep-seated anger. Tonight, what I want to talk about, among all these methods, is not the sacred dance. In Buddhism, they use sometimes sacred dance to, to melt your heart. Tonight, I'm going to talk about uh, this subject, love. Love is a very powerful method and path to melt the icy mountain inside each of us. It's most powerful force to melt your heart. But I'm not speaking of uh, just the ordinary love. Instead, unconditional love, all-embracing love. Somebody recently sent me letters and she said that she was never interested in Buddhism because she thought that Buddhism is nihilistic and not rooted in the love. Of course, this is not true. Buddhism is rooted in love. But there are many forms of love. Buddha taught a whole path as well as a meditation on love, such as the Brahma Vihara, the divine abode. It is a meditation on love, meditation on compassion. It is a meditation on love, not just the limited love, but love towards humanity. <laughs> you can cultivate love towards humanity. The meditation on the Brahma Vihara is a method, it's a meditation on love, this all-embracing love. Sometimes you might like to visualize the sea of humanity in front of you and learning to open your heart and learning to love them. And if you don't know how to love the humanity, I have a recommendation. I recommend you to go to New York City. <laughs> and I recommend you to ride subway in New York City. 
And if you don't feel love towards humanity, I recommend you to write survey a few times. <laughs> if that doesn't work, just keep writing and writing. You may have to keep writing the survey more than 10 times, or more than 20 times. You may have to write the survey 100 times, and someday, surprisingly, you feel that you are feeling this love towards humanity. I have been riding subway in New York City. Usually when I travel to teach, I never want to go out. But there are few places that I want to go out on my teaching tour. One of them is in New York City. And usually I ask the host to take me to subway. <laughs> this is a tour. And when I ride subway, I look around. And there are all kinds of people. There are many clowns, tricksters. You look at somebody and she's so frustrated, upset. And you look at somebody and she could be so ecstatic and happy. And there's so many expressions. There's myriad expressions of humanity, joy, sadness, confusion, love, dignity, and human foibles as well. Did uh, Indian mystic say that uh, he was so ecstatic because he realized that the God he was calling, the divine he was calling, so close to him, not only that, his shoulder is rubbing against the shoulder of a God. So he was blessed out. But when you're in the subway, you'll be blessed about by rubbing your shoulder against the shoulder of other people, especially when the train is crowded. And you can feel love from that. You can feel joy from that. You don't have to be like those ancient <coughs> mystics who are so close to the divine. All you need is to be close to humanity. This is very liberating news. We don't have to be like those mystics anymore. <laughs> we don't have to read their poems. Let's put their poems for a while. Let's donate those poems to a public libraries, <laughs> all these ecstatic poems written by the great mystics. Because we don't have to be close to the divine anymore. All we need is to be close to the humanity and love humanity and worship humanity. And write hymns to this sea of humanity. And then you feel that your heart start melting, that the ice mountain start dissolving. 
Tonight I start talking on topic. The love is a topic, and sometimes there's not so much to say. <laughs> of course, sometimes there's so much to say about it, but other times there's not so much to say about it. Maybe I can ask all of you to just pause and go inside and try to feel this love that I'm speaking of, love towards humanity. I'm sure you're able to feel it because your expression of love, the foundation of your being is a love. Sometimes there are many philosophical debates whether the human nature is a good or bad. I would not say human nature is a neither good nor bad. I will say human nature is a love. Your nature is love. Your pure nature is love very foundation of your existence is love. So you'll know how to feel this love already right now. It doesn't take so much effort to feel this love. You don't have to study, you don't have to analyze to understand this love. You're already feeling it right now. I'm going to keep asking you go inside and try to feel this love. It's very simple love. It's not even divine love. It's very human love. It's your love towards the, the humanity as a whole. And once you start feeling it, and you can say that love is your original face. And that love is your true nature. That love is foundation of your existence. That love is the deepest state of yourself. <coughs> and then remember every day to cultivate this love that you're experiencing. Meditate on this love. Recite verses and phrases that invoke this love.
And so now that you feel that this love is completely permeating your entire being, your mind, your heart, or even your body as well. You feel that this entire, this love is permeating every cell in your body. So in that love, you witness this amazing karmic purification. You witness this natural resolution dissolving your hatred, dissolving your fear. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to make them go. They begin to dissolve on their own. And if you want to be more religious and spiritual about this love, then you might like to write poems, hymns to the humanity, and then compose even a, a music and a beautiful melody. And you can sing in that hymns. I know Kirtan is very popular in Northern California. You can have your own Kirtan. Not kirtan as a song to the divine, but a song to the humanity. That will be the best kirtan. In Mahayana Buddhism, we bow to the West every evening. And maybe you can do something very interesting. Every evening you can bow not to the West, but to somewhere else. Anywhere else except the West. <laughs> Maybe to the North. Bow to the North instead of bow to the West. I grew up with my grandparents who are very religious. And they bow every evening towards the West, which is very beautiful practice. They were bowing to the Buddha Amitabha, the Buddha of infinite light. And they're bowing as expression of supplication. And also they're praying to be born in the Skavati, the land of bliss, the paradise of Buddha Amitabha. Very, very beautiful practice, of course. But I'm also suggesting as a joke, you might like to bow to the north. <laughs> and the Mahayana Buddhist will ask you, what are you doing? You're supposed to be bowing to the west, but you are bowing to the north. 
And you can tell, I'm bowing not to the Buddha Amitabha, but to the humanity. I'm bowing to the sea of humanity. I have a friend, his name is Paul. He lives in Bar Harbor in Maine. And one time he asked me, could you tell me please the two marks of being enlightened? And usually I don't tell people the two marks of being enlightened. I don't have authority to tell that, but on that day somehow I said, well, the two marks of being enlightened is that you feel so much love towards everything, towards the entire universe. And even you feel love towards the street sign, so much that you'll be able to prostrate to the street sign. And this was maybe 10 years ago. A few months after that, when I received this envelope in the mail, when I opened it and there was a picture of a pole prostrating to a street sign in Bar Harbor <laughs> while all the cars passing by. <laughs> There's a new religion now is happening in the 21st century. This new religion is also the religion of Buddha. This religion is about not so much loving the divine, but loving the humanity. It's not so much about loving the paradise, heavens, but it's more loving this earth, loving this world. This world that is not always perfect. And through this love, you'll find everything that you are aspiring for. What are you aspiring for? Maybe you are aspiring for peace. Peace will come to you. Perhaps you are aspiring for happiness, unconditional happiness. It will come to you. Everything will come to you. Under this love, nothing will come to you. We'll be always chasing after everything. Chasing after Satori, chasing after enlightenment, chasing after happiness, chasing after peace, chasing after divine. We'll be this cosmic chaser which is not a very good role to play. (coughs) 
Thank you everybody for coming here tonight. Hope my talk was uh, meaningful and I would like to express my gratitude to Spirit Rock community for inviting me. I feel very honored. I also want to express my gratitude to Jack Confield. Uh, extraordinary Dharma teacher, amazing Bodhisattva, who is not only impeccable teacher, but who is also almost a role model for the Dharma teachers in this 21st century. I hope, I believe that uh, uh, he's uh, he, his role model is the role model that all the teachers follow. He's a humble yet very evolved, wise. He does not uh, present himself as a guru, but he had he has so much to offer. He has lots of love, lots of wisdom. And, uh, and this should be the role model of a Dharma teacher. This is a, also time we should let go of uh, the old role model of the teachers. And those role models may worked in certain time, but they're no longer working. So uh, we're very lucky to have a uh, Sangha like this and teacher like Jack and also many other wonderful bodhisattvas. I feel very honored to be here tonight. Much gratitude. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.